Welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Benjamin, here with our team of journalists and columnists to review what has been happening in media and advertising this past week. And what a week it's been. We've got some pretty tasty earnings from Amazon, Spotify, Google, Meta, some advertising holding companies. What happened when social media bosses were hauled in front of U.S. Congress? And why is Disney, Fox, and Warner all getting bet into bed with each other for sports streaming? We will also talk about updates on TikTok, lots of streaming numbers, and we may even mention the biggest TV advertising event in the world, the Super Bowl, which happens this weekend. But first, joining me on the podcast today to discuss the state of affairs, per usual, our editor-in-chief, Omar Oaks. Hello, Omar. Hi, Jack. Reporter Ella Sagar. Hi, Beth. <laughs> And uh, as well, Nikki Kemp joins us once again from home this time. Hello, Nikki. How are you doing? Hi, good. Thanks. How are you? Very good. So, Nikki, actually, I want to come to you first. Your latest column will be out next week. It's on the topic of self-editing in the workplace. just wanted to see if you could give us a quick preview. Definitely. So there are a few topics that rile me up as much as the fact that women in the media don't have a huge share of voice. When I look at thought leadership in our industry, it is very, very male-dominated. Um, women who do take up space do face um, disproportionate feedback that they are somehow too much, too loud, um, or not enough. So for me, I think it's really important to challenge that and to encourage women to share their opinions. I think it's something the media leader does really well. You have a lot of excellent columnists like Jan Gooding, but I do think it is important to just remind women and remind organizations. Most of the organizations in our industry have very complicated thought leadership strategies, but a lot of those thought leadership strategies elevate men and serve to shut women up. So it was really interesting today as well, because there's some research that's come out from Bloom, which if you don't know Bloom, it's a really great organization that really champions women in the creative industries. And it found that 54% of women feel frequently overwhelmed by their workload. 93% of women say a lack of work-life balance has negatively impacted their mental health. And 83% of women say they've experienced physical health issues as a result of poor work balance. So I wanted to flag that as well, because I know some of the listeners will be thinking, please, I do not want to add being a thought leader to my to-do list but I do think it's really, really, really vital to really change the narrative because by changing the narrative, we can really change the experience of women in our industry. Mm -hmm. our, our new deputy editor, uh, Maria Yu, is actually at Bloom today to learn more about that report. Um, so thanks for flagging that for us. And, and everyone should look out for your next column uh, coming out on uh, next week. Um, Thank you. Ella, I, I wanted to come to you next. I mean, not only did Amazon report its earnings, as I mentioned, but the day has finally come and gone for Amazon Prime Video to add its ads tier, which occurred on Monday of this week. Um, you've written for us about Amazon in the past. You spoke about it on BBC Radio 4 as well. I like to plug that whenever I can. <laughs> um, but the new reporting you did this week was focused on how consumers are saying they will react to these changes. So so what is the reaction uh, in supposedly going to be based on survey data. Mm, I think uh, I've spoken about this before, how people in marketing and advertising welcomed that, oh, Amazon Prime Video is going to have ads, but consumers were not quite as warm, didn't feel as warmly about it. And they felt like I didn't pay for this. I didn't ask for this. Um, but there was a new survey that I covered this week, uh, which found that actually most UK consumers were unwilling to pay the extra fee to avoid ads. 
and that they felt like Amazon Prime as a whole bundle, because remember it comes with delivery and with Kindle and all of these other like added bits in, uh, that it was good value for money and that they didn't really mind ads. Uh, that was about a quarter of those surveyed said, oh, I don't really mind ads. And mm. then about a third in total said, I don't mind ads, especially if they're relevant and I'll keep my Prime Video subscription. So even though people maybe didn't ask for ads, they're not wanting to sacrifice everything else that Prime gives them. That's the kind of gist from that survey. Gotcha. Mm. How, how, what's the percentage of people that are going to sacrifice their Prime subscription because they really just don't care about care for these ads coming in? Well, 73% were unwilling to pay the extra to avoid right. ads. But then so you would assume that like the, the flip side would be uh, that others, maybe a quarter would be would be willing around that uh, that gotcha. figure. Um, and yeah, I think actually about four in 10 people said they would keep Prime Video with ads for th- just because of the other services. Like that. So really there, it's not about watching the original content on Prime Video. Mm. It's about everything else. Mm. And they're just willing to suck that up gotcha. kind of thing. It's an interesting point. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that as it develops as well. Um, Omar, related to the TV and streaming market, Fox, Disney, Warner Brothers Discovery announced uh, just before we were going to record this podcast uh, that they're working on a new streaming service for live sports. I imagine this is, I mean, this is an extraordinary development. What do you think the impact will be? Because my first thought was surely it would decelerate the success of linear when so many people go to linear television specifically for live sports and for news. Yeah, that's exactly it. But we, we've been saying for years, as um, audiences have generally migrated to streaming, that when it comes to big news events, when it comes to live sports, you can still rely on linear to deliver that. Um, no more, it would seem, which is why this is potentially very, very big news, not only for the US media industry, but the global media industry as well. Um, it's obviously going to have, um, in the medium to long term, significant consequences for advertising in particular because if you're a linear broadcaster reach is that thing you can always hang your hat on we can deliver mass reach but increasingly um, if sports rights are going to be battled out between big tech we've we've talked previously about netflix getting into golf acquiring rights for wwe um apple with the major league soccer um amazon's already kind of dabbled in premier league in the uk atp tennis um, they can see these broadcasters can see what's coming down the road. There is a big global battle for sports rights emerging, and it's going to be very expensive. It's going to mean deeper, deeper pockets. And so, yeah, they're saddling up Disney with through ESPN, um, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, and Fox. It's interesting that Comcast, which owns Sky, um, which has Premier League rights in the UK. Interesting that Comcast is not part of this, nor Paramount, and wait and see whether they end up joining us next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a good point. I mean, yeah, still early days in the deal. It was just announced uh, uh, yesterday as of the recording of this podcast, so we'll see what details emerge going forward. Um, but Omar, you did mention big tech's getting in on streaming rights increasingly, and I, I want to talk about big tech today because you know we saw so many earnings over the past week. Um, you wrote extensively at the end of last year about how fabulous Meta is doing from a business perspective. Um, you may have gotten that a bit from uh, Scott Galloway as well, who's been like trumpeting that Meta is the greatest company at, at the moment because of how well they're doing. 
Um, I'm just curious if you saw the uh, earnings result, if you had any initial thoughts regarding it. The share price jumped over 20% in reaction. And this, we're talking about a ma- massive company. So a 20% uh, increase in market cap is crazy. Um, meanwhile, Threads added 30 million users in uh, quarter four to reach 130 total. I mean, these are pretty impressive figures on various parts of the business, not talking about the metaverse, at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no one's aware of the metaverse anymore. Uh, and by, by the way, lots of people are um, saying that Meta's had a fabulous time, um, not just uh, Professor Scott Galloway. Um, but, you know, he, he's my boy. You know, I met him in Cannes, you know, walking down the Quasette, you know, last summer. And, you know, we're Your friends. Best friends. We're, fr- we're yeah. friends. Me, me, he lives at, he, he lives in London now as well. Um, but, yeah, th- there's no getting around it. That's something Galloway says as well. There's no getting around it. Um, there's no getting around it. Meta is... It's not, we've talked previously about how, you know, we don't do awards for media owner of the year on this, on this publication, but if we did Meta would clearly win it for 2023 because they've managed to play that trick of cutting costs and increasing revenue massively, which is why um, profits have gone up so much and the latest earnings reflect that. Now, we previously talked about how they seem to have solved this IDFA Apple problem where Apple effectively were doing, were blocking um, automatic ad tracking. It was it was really screwing Facebook in particular. And it seems that apparently through use of AI, they've managed to solve that puzzle. So the ad manager for Facebook and Instagram in particular is working really well. But the important point about this, and it's relevant to Google, and it's relevant, frankly, to everything that we're talking about when it comes to advertising, is that where is this growth coming from? Principally, it's coming from small to medium-sized businesses. Small, medium-sized businesses in general, in general, don't care about brand building. They care about, I've got a product to sell. I've got discounts. I need to get out to a target audience as quickly and as cheaply as I can. Facebook's the place to do that. Google's the place to do that. Social media is a place to do that. Programmatic, low quality stuff, you might think, not great for brands. Um, Misinformation, all these issues, not great for that either, you might say. Um, But it's great for Google and Facebook. And this, and in a time where interest rates are going up, costs are continuing to go up. Um, discounting is still going to be really important. Um, this is this is this is not something that's going to go away. This is the long term trajectory of the industry, and even what we've just talked about with streaming and the big broadcasters getting together. This is this is all part of that this emerging tapestry of the twenty first century media. Mm-hmm. Is there a, a blind spot at all when it comes to? I don't know if anyone else watched the U.S. Senate uh, hearing last week. Nikki, you're nodding your head. Um, yeah. Do, do you think there's a, a blind spot here in terms of how they could get regulated that could affect business? Or, I mean, because it's just, I found it rather funny, basically, that Mark Zuckerberg got just destroyed, basically, for four straight hours by a group of senators. And then two days later, Meta releases its results. And it's like, he suddenly earned $70 million in a day or something, I mean, something crazy like that. And that was just in the dividend payment that they announced. So, yeah, it's good timing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm curious what you had, uh, what you thought about that, Nikki. I think it genuinely is an unprecedented moment. You've got these huge, huge companies like Meta, huge, huge growth, and accusations of having blood on their hands. I think as an industry, we he- need to hold two completely contradictory things at the same time. At the one hand, you're seeing phenomenal growth. And to Omar's point, when it comes to sales and the cost of living crisis, brands like Timu, Shine, these lower quality 
Chinese brands coming in. Goldman Sachs said Timu spent $1.2 billion on meta advertising in 2023. I think we will see a lot more brands like that coming in, undercutting the, the competition. But at the same time, we have this huge existential crisis as an industry in terms of what we are actually doing to adequately police these platforms, because clearly what we're doing is not enough, um, particularly when it comes to the impact on children's mental health and the disconnect between what people say and the investments that they have made is phenomenal. And we can see that in the results. But it's clear that this issue isn't going away. I think there's a disconnect within the advertising and media industry as well, if I'm honest. I think this is something that parents are really, really concerned about. It's Children's Mental Health Week this week. The impact on social media on mental health is a massive issue. And if we're being really honest, the big players have treated it like a sort of little side hustle to some degree. And it's not an issue I see going away. But if I'm honest, it's not an issue that I see impacting their revenues in the short term at the moment, which raises a lot of questions for media agencies in particular. Mm. Yeah. And, th- and that's the thing in terms of if if a lot of this growth is coming from small, medium-sized businesses, you know, a lot of these companies don't even have marketers. It's in many cases, it's the founder who's just spending what can be quite a sizable budget on online advertising. And you know, they're not getting involved in the the brand safety conversation, the misinformation conversation. So, you know, I, I do have sympathy with if you're Mark Pritchard, you know, CMO of Procter & Gamble, one of these massive global advertisers, where they feel like they have a responsibility through the ANA and other trade bodies to to stand up for a lot of these issues. When, frankly, well, if, if Facebook and Google is taking most of their money from outside of big advertisers, well, who, who are we supposed to hold to account? Because at the end of the day, Whoever is spending money with these platforms, that they those are the ones that wield the power. And if it's distributed among millions and millions of advertisers, then that that's the issue that needs to be sorted out. If we really want accountability. Mm-hmm. There's it's also worth noting, and uh, peace of mind is coming out uh, today actually um, on uh, what social media companies are sort of feeling they need to respond because there seems to be a, a concern at least based off of our conversations with TikTok and Reddit and um, Snap uh, in terms of being labeled as social media and then seeing that as a negative. Um, so basically, you know, Snap just came out with a campaign launched on last Friday that the tagline was really less social media, more Snapchat, implying that they're not social media, they're not the problem, it's meta or TikTok, or they didn't specify who it was. Didn't Snapchat, clear, but. didn't Snapchat invent the thing where, do they still have it where you kind of, um, you get like a, a loyalty kind of thing wherever. You, Snap streak? Yeah, when you kind of get yeah. keep a streaks going. I th- yeah, I'm pretty sure that's still, mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't used Snapchat personally in a while. Yeah, you can have like a hundred day streak with a particular like person. Yeah, some of my friends have like yeah. 365 plus day streaks with people. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is exactly the sort of thing that social media shouldn't be doing. And if Snapchat really doesn't want to call themselves social media, then they need to stop doing stuff like that. Because, you know, in essence, what are we talking about when we're talking about the negative impacts of social media? We're talking about the gamification, the casinofication of these platforms where they're not doing it in the interest of users in order to give us a more a richer or more interesting experience with communicating one another. 
they're doing it to encourage us to spend as much time on that platform as possible, which is what a casino would do. Mm-hmm. I should note that Snap also just came out with its uh, earnings as well and didn't didn't do so hot. The stock, as of the recording of this podcast, uh, share price fell about 30%. Um, to be fair, it did climb 89% in 2023. It had been hit pretty hard after 2022 and then, and then recovered, but it still isn't making a profit. And a lot of these social media companies have the same problem where not only do they have the potential PR crisis of there's a negative connotation around social media, perhaps they're trying to deal with through these interesting marketing campaigns, but they also have the issue of for, unless you're meta, it seems like, or Google, and we don't know anything about TikTok because they're a private company or they're run by a private company, then um, you're not necessarily driving profit, even if you're taking in billions in revenue. So it is interesting to watch all of these different companies um, basically you know, at each quarter just to see at what point are they going to become profitable, if ever. Snap was a bit of an outlier in the um, the hearings as well, wasn't it? That they backed the US version of the Online Safety Act. Yeah, they did. Unlike they did. any of the other social media companies. And so, and again, that was before they came out with that campaign distancing. So they're trying to obviously say that they're, and, re- and through actions as well, say we're different to the to the rest. Yeah, they, they clearly want to be known as the, the positive mm. uh, competitor, mm-hmm. basically. And whether or not that's true, I suppose, Omar, to your point, is you know, up for grabs, I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah, they do have a spotlight feature that's very much basically a TikTok clone. Um, so it's not like they they're not they're not entirely unlike some other competitors. Yeah, but in in defense of these companies, to be fair, you know, it's it's very rich for like Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham and these other awful cretins, mm. stains on the human race to kind of like lecture Mark Zuckerberg and these other people rightly, by the way, both things can be true about um, having blood on the hands or whatever language they use. But at the end of the day, you are senators, you are Congress people. It do your job and regulate them. Uh, how much money do Facebook, Google and the rest spend on lobbying um, Congress every year? The numbers are there. Um, so, you know, they're, they're the ones who have fallen asleep at the wheel and we have to pay the consequences as well. It's because of the U.S. lack of regulation that we even have this convention of age gating at 13. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, in the U.K., it's worth remembering um, we've essentially got two years with the Online Safety Act and um, before, you know, the industry has to get its act together. And a lot of work is being, do- being done by the Ad Association and others to come up with a response where if, unless there is going to be significant regulation and remember that we might have a labor government, um, at the end of this year, um, significant regulation could be coming in the UK as well. So regulators are watching. Mm. I do want to, uh, jump around to some other earnings. Um, but I have lots of personal opinion that gets way too political in, in response to that. So <laughs> no, I, think no we're gonna <laughs> I think we're going to skip it. Um, Ella, Spotify revealed its own earnings this week. The company had been struggling last year to cut down on costs after spending billions on various deals to learn podcasters, Joe mm. Rogan, the, the most notable and famous one of, of, of those. Um, they also had laid off thousands of staff last year. I'm mm. just curious, what happened in the latest earnings? Is it more positive than you know, last year? Yeah, it does seem more positive. I think that Daniel X, a few of the phrases that were jumping out were kind of efficiency and um monetization i think he was saying that 2024 will be the focus the focus will be on um monetization and of growth and so that sounds like a lot of buzzwords which is a lot of buzzwords but i think there is an also more a more disciplined approach they don't want to sacrifice the they had double digit revenue growth that was for they split that out into like into premiums and to ad supported and both of those had double digit revenue growth i think it was like 12 and 17 percent um 
17% for premium and 12% for ad supported. Mm. Ad supported revenue hit an all time high, but I think it's hit an all time high every quarter. So like it's, it is growing. Um, but most of their revenue still comes from subscription from premium. Um, one of the things that they were kind of grilled on in the, uh, in the earnings call was about their podcast strategy because Joe Rogan has signed a new deal with Spotify. It's not exclusive anymore. And that's the biggest mm. podcast on Spotify's platform. Mm. And it's the biggest podcast globally by listenership. Um, and the biggest female podcaster, um, uh, Alex Cooper, call her daddy. That podcast is also no longer exclusive to Spotify. It's going to be distributed on other platforms. So they seem to be moving away from that. And Trevor Noah was the big signing for podcasting mm. for Spotify in, in last quarter. And again, that's not exclusively available on Spotify. Does that mean that the deals are less costly for Spotify? Is that like a way for them to cut down on costs? So, yeah, it's a bit unclear Like if that's like a... I think for them, they think X said, we're pursuing multiple strategies with podcasting and that this this way they're going to... I think they're, they're testing it out. They're going to see how much more ad revenue they can get by putting those podcasts on Apple on all of the other um, services. Um, and I think maybe there was a bit of a, I think he was describing a kind of a uh, playoff where you get like um, subscribers joining the platform, you get that kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The the new titles, oh, Louis Theroux on Spotify, or Trevor Noah's on Spotify, right. but you don't necessarily get like the, it doesn't always translate um, into what they, what the metrics they're actually looking for. So they have to try and balance it out. And, and also, you know, podcasting is really, really expensive, especially if you want those big names. So mm, yeah, it, yeah. Clearly, it clearly hasn't worked. I mean, their fingers have been burnt with Obama's, um, Meghan, yeah, Markle. Meghan, Meghan Markle, Meghan, yeah. Prince Harry. I mean, um, you know, uh, they, they, they went down the road of demanding exclusivity mm. and kind of golden handcuffs and it just hasn't worked. Um, and especially if they want to chase um, higher ad revenue. I said, are they still, the, it's X still talk about that target. They want He's 20% not, ad revenue. It didn't come up the in the business. earnings call. Yeah, they, it's, yeah, a couple of years ago, that was like, that his, was big like thing. his big thing. We're going to make rev ad revenue a fifth of our whole business and it hasn't happened. And yeah. um, that's been difficult. And I think, um, you know, the, you can't do both things, demand exclusivity mm. for your best, your best talent, but then want loads of people to advertise. Mm. They've also just to the other thing that they've now kind of added in the audiobooks. Um, they're now the right. number two provider behind Amazon's Audible of audiobooks globally. Um, so that's something else as well. So they had better than expected. Month, How is that like monetized? subscriber? Yeah. So at the moment, I don't think it carries advertising. Right. And at the moment, it's on a kind of hourly subscription model. So if you have a premium account, you can listen to I think it's fifteen hours of audiobooks for free included it's sort of based so it's kind of like a value add so it's a kind of value else, right? add yeah. so we'll see what happens i don't know um nikki if you've listened to any audiobooks on spotify or if you're a spotify subscriber or anything yes but, but i don't think I, i'd I'm like ads. I, I subscribe to everything <laughs> i love spotify but the audiobooks in particular i think is a really nice i i would expect to see that build and be an interesting vehicle for sponsorship as well, potentially. Mm. Mm. Yeah, sponsorship rather than a kind of inserted ad between oh, yeah, chapters yeah. or not something. I, I don't, I don't <laughs> see how that. But maybe, maybe I'm being uh, maybe product product placement, sponsorship. I don't know something something like that could be interesting to see. Mm. Get some authors to to write in people <laughs> drinking cans of Coca Cola specifically. <laughs> um, very Truman Show. Uh, Nikki, we, oh, so we did just mention Amazon. Um, Amazon's ad services grew 26.8% year-on-year to $14.65 billion. They attributed growth primarily to sponsored ads. I'm curious, Nikki, I mean, 
Should Amazon be considered a cloud and advertising company more than a retail company at this point? I mean, it's they're, they're earning a tremendous amount of revenue just from advertising. It's so fascinating, isn't it? I think advertising is going to become the beating heart of Amazon. And I think we're seeing a lot of data showing as well that post-pandemic consumers are switching out of some of those more sustainable shopping choices that they might have made and back to Amazon. I think Amazon is a destination. The power that Amazon have, the data that Amazon have is a huge, huge growth area. And I see no reason why ad revenues will con- won't continue to grow. I think the interesting thing with Amazon is just the diversity of its is of its products, of its platform, of its content, it's actually its biggest strength to some degree. This Amazon of everything as a way to to build a brand which has its tentacles in almost every aspect of our lives is is incredibly powerful. And I see no reason why you wouldn't put advertising at the beating heart of that. Mm. Amazon, from a consumer perspective, is not as high quality as it used to be, at least in my opinion. You know, you get a search result and you see loads of advertising. It's sort of the same problem that Google had. Is there a concern that because they're leaning into advertising more and more and more that they also might have an issue with the quality of their product, the search results? I think it depends. I think um, before the pandemic, um, it was it was really hard um, if you were a big agency group to have a good relationship with Amazon, frankly, because they they got to this point where they they built. I, I'm trying to get the figures right in my head. I think they they almost became a ten billion dollar advertising business by accident. Um, and I and I said I use the word by accident jokingly because um, they they essentially didn't. They, you, if you were a big, um, you wanted to buy a load of affiliate ads on Amazon. If you're a big media buyer, you it was hard to get someone on the phone as you could with Google and Facebook. Um, because they just Amazon didn't have that structure set up internally. It's just because their retail b- business had grown so huge, and people were organically um, advertisers were organically spending on these ads that it just happened. It's completely different now, um, and this is why you're seeing Amazon getting to ads on Amazon Prime Video or more sophisticated offerings on the retail platform. Um, I completely agree when Nikki says it's going to be the beating heart and that might not necessarily be just reflected in the revenue numbers, but to your point about how the consumer might see it, when you think about when you're asking Alexa for a recommendation, why not have more explicit advertising around that? Mm. Which should actually be fairer to the consumer as well, because you know we've seen this a lot with ChatGPT, with um, other search platforms. It's like, well, where's the information coming from? Is this all like a pay-to-play? Like, where? Like how how neutral is it? And there's another area where regulation hasn't really got into as well. But as people are are using um, voice device, voice are using ChatGPT, generative AI more for search, where that information comes from matters. A lot more, and it's like with Google. You under, it's it's very clear that the first few posts, the first few links are sponsored, but that the transparency is there to an extent. But when that beating heart, I think it's important that it's quite transparent in terms of how the consumer. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to say the same disclaimer: advertising is fantastic. If you want an educated, interesting, diverse society, you need to have an interesting, educated, diverse media. And you need to have media that's cheap. And the best way to make media cheap is advertising. So advertising is generally a very, very good thing, but we just need to be transparent on how we get there. Mm -hmm. 
The last company that I, I wanted to make sure we mentioned was, of course, Alphabet. Um, that's the parent company of Google for anyone who somehow doesn't know that at this point. Um, they saw total ad revenue rise 11% year on year to $65.52 billion, led by double-digit growth in search and YouTube. YouTube is now watched by something like 83% of all adults in the U.S. market. I mean, that's that's actually pretty bonkers. That, that's basically close to linear TV or, or, or radio, um, and it's just YouTube. Um, and it's YouTube's revenue back is back to growing. So, you know, I'm curious what we should make of Google's current market positioning, especially given that there's big changes coming to things like search with generative AI, Um there's been some concern among you know people that they might cannibalize their own search revenues because people won't be seeing the advertising as much if they use something like ChatGPT or Bard in their instance. Um, I'm curious how future proof do we see their ad model? Uh, Nikki, why don't you take that first? I think it is quite future proofed. I think it's a very diversified uh, advertising model because you have got issues around search and how AI is going to impact that, but they're also investing a huge amount in AI. Um, I think what we might see is them cannibalizing some of their existing ad revenues rather than it going to a competitor, which I think is really interesting. And I think, I know you mentioned YouTube. Again, I think YouTube is really differentiating itself with the investment that it's putting in creators. Creators are making more money from YouTube than they are from TikTok, from Instagram, from any of those other platforms. So they're making lots of smart decisions on an individual level, which I think are really, really interesting. So I definitely see their products evolving, but arguably the scale of Alphabet means that they will swallow up some of those shifts um, in, in AI search in particular. I think we always overestimate, don't we, as an industry, just how hardwired some of the habits that we all have as consumers are, whether it's going to Google first, how quickly that search now is taking place in TikTok and TikTok shop. We always underestimate how big those shifts can be when they happen. But I think the interesting thing with Alphabet is that they've got plays in most of those areas as well. So I don't see them as being as exposed as, as some of the other companies are. Mm, mm. I mean, you, you mentioned just how big Alphabet is and, and how diversified it is. I think the overall picture that I had in conversations with analysts reporting on all these earnings over the past week or so was oh. that the big are just getting bigger and bigger and other media owners aren't necessarily growing at pace in comparison. So Meta now comprises 17% of the world's total ad market outside of China by itself. It's seven billion in quarter four incremental revenue would make it a top ten annual ad seller alone. Um, that was uh, Brian Weiser who who wrote that in his Madison and Wall Substack. Uh, when I talked to TMT analyst Alex DeGroote, he said there was a reasonable quote unquote oligopoly thesis to be made for most media sectors, including and especially digital. Um, other publishers are sort of getting squeezed out by these big walled gardens. Um, one analyst from Enders, Jamie McEwen, further speculated that the sort of macroeconomic downturn over the past year or two has biased buyers toward those big media, these big advertising channels. They can provide a, a proof of return on spend perhaps easier than smaller players. So I guess setting aside how successful big tech has been in the last quarter, I mean, is this generally healthy for the media industry? Surely you would think more competitive options would drive prices down. I mean, Ella, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. Well, I think a lot of the like the subscription companies, I mean, tech, streaming, there there are there have been price hikes. And so there it's there's quite a 
we talked about this, how advertising and the economy seem a bit out of step. And so there is this kind of uncertainty. And so from one quarter to the next, you don't, there is, it is very difficult to predict. And I don't know, I doubt we'll see like a major new player coming in that could rival that scale. I don't think you could, you could get that. And this has been Mm. many, many years in the making. I was listening to a podcast called The Gatekeepers, which was on BBC Radio 4 by Jamie Bartlett, which is uh, really good about and tracking back. Like this is what the internet and social media was meant to be. And tech, Macintosh, back in the day, this was their mission statement. This was the the book that it was based on. And it was going to be all about connection and human connection. And that's not what it is now. And it's it is it's very interesting to, that I think it ties into this, that these were once small players. And now they are beyond huge, beyond that even the capability, like the thought that Mark Zuckerberg might have had that it could be this big. Mm. Yeah, I, I think we run the risk of making the mistake of blaming the internet too much for this phenomenon. That it's this is what happens. This is what capitalism does. Some companies are better than others through luck, through design, talent, whatever it is. Some companies are better than others, and they grow bigger than others. They succeed, and that some win, some lose, and the winners get bigger. What happens when companies get big and they're never regulated and competition commissioners never come in and say, hey, Amazon, everyone's spending on Amazon. There's nowhere else where you can buy toothbrushes or whatever it is anymore. That's not good for society. Um, YouTube, there's only one place where people are watching online video. That's not true, but let's just say that it is. That's not right for society. We need we need a diversity of people to buy and sell media to watch um, to, to watch, consume media. Um, when companies are getting too big, what do you have to do? You have to start breaking them up. And again, do your job. Not you, Jack, but you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay, I'm doing my job. I, I, I'm looking at you, but you know I mean? It's, yeah you've, won, yeah, you've done a great job, YouTube. You've built this fantastic, massive global platform that everyone's using. Same for Amazon and retail, but you've become too big and we have to break you up. Sorry, Alphabet, you are going, we, we order you because it's good for the economy and society at large, for YouTube to be a separate company. They've done it before and they should do it again. Mm, yeah, they broke up. You, know, you think of like also, Standard Oil. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, also on, from, a, from a marketing perspective, and we've seen this, brands are over-reliant on individual platforms 100%. for their marketing strategies. Yeah. They change the algorithm. Your business model is screwed. I think there's a real lack of innovation within organizations and and from creators as well because of the dominance of a few few players this kind of consolidation is not good for creativity or innovation mm. i should note they set a date for the google antitrust trial in the u.s that is going to happen september 9th of next year of this year Jeez, yeah mm-hmm. we're well we're into 2024, we're well into 2024. <laughs> yeah um so yeah be on the lookout for that that'll be a, a really big day um i'm sure we'll be very busy trying to cover that um i'd like to transition us into our quick hits section um Lots more news that we haven't even touched on uh, related to a lot of these companies as well. So the first, um, Ella, Spotify is publicly campaigning against Apple over restrictions it says the company is placing on app developers. What is this campaign hoping to accomplish? I thought this was really interesting because you don't often get two companies like this kind of really sort of naming each other in, in, in such a public way. And effectively, this was about Apple's restrictions are for apps on its store on in-app purchases, on promotions, on offers, um, that they would take a 27% cut of in-app purchases. Um, and Spotify is not happy about that. There's been a new EU bill that would help restrict that kind of 
power that Apple has. And now Spotify has done an outdoor campaign around Westminster and also to eligible Apple users in the UK to to get an uh, equivalent bill, the Digital Markets and Consumers Bill, I think it's called, um, to have the same kind of provisions because you're kind of not letting consumers uh, see all of the best uh, kind of prices um, and the best offers on an app because it's it's not uh, worth the app actually mm. um, putting that forward, which is making it is effectively harming consumers. Um, so it's just a very interesting outdoor and like online campaign and they kind of censored the creative um, in a quite interesting way as well. Mm, mm. Do you, do you follow-up question, do you think it'll be a success? I think the DMC bill that's in the UK uh, will probably take some inspiration from the Digital Markets Act in Europe. So, but uh, I don't think it could hurt the chances of it. Right. Yeah. Speaking of Apple, the Apple Vision Pro has been out for a number of days now. We've all seen lots of really awkward videos of people wearing it in public and looking like buffoons. Um, Omar, I'm curious, have you had any first impressions or seen any first impressions uh, of the device? And, and are we looking at the future of media through a screen right up against our eyes? No, absolutely not. <laughs> it This looks like a, a wonderful, amazing product. Apple is so good at product design and we're, we're constantly reminded of that. But who in their right mind, is going to pay three and a half thousand dollars slash pounds to walk around with a headset, even at home. Um, and, you know, they, they try to kind of make it look even more creepy by, um, <laughs> it looks like your eyes are peeping through it, but it's actually a camera. It's actually a screen, which is, there's a camera taking a photo of your eyes and then transporting it back. The whole thing, you know, it looks really creepy. Um, but no, it, I, I can see it being a really interesting B2B um, product, um, particularly in a hybrid working time. Um, I can see particularly niche applications for different sectors. But no, I'm not going to be watching Disney Plus or whatever it is on my Apple headset. I'm not, I, I just don't see it. No, no. Mm -hmm. Well, at some point, the price I have to imagine will come down or they will release a non-pro model and maybe then that becomes more of an enticing. Have you, have you heard the conspiracy theory about this, by the way? That, um, the only Maybe. reason that Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, um, has launched this whole thing is because um, he wanted to kill um, the MetaQuest um, product that hasn't been doing so well anyway. He just kind of wanted to, you know, he wanted there to be so much hype about, oh, if Apple's doing it, there's going to be a lot better and just kind of drive down any demand that was there for Interesting. this. No, I haven't heard that. I, if that's true, which I doubt it is, but if that was, he, he completely botched the execution because it seems like a lot of people are now interested in AR, VR more than they were, but they're like, well, I'm not going to shell out $3,500 for this product. Why don't I just go buy the Quest Pro, which I can get for, you know, a fifth of the mm. price. Yeah, isn't it a couple of hundred dollars? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially yeah. if it's on sale, it's not. It's it's not as unreasonable. So, um, yeah, no, I, I'm 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 not inclined to believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> R rising tides also, you know, raise all, all all boats as well. So, you know, the more interest in VR in general helps probably both Apple and and Meta. Um, next one. TikTok and United Music Group had their licensing deal fall apart last week. Nikki, is this worse for TikTok or for the United Music Group artists? And do we expect either company to come back to the table? 
I think both companies will come back to the table, but it's it's really interesting because UMG, they, they have about 32% market share. So they're a major player. They've got artists like Taylor Swift, but, you know, a fiery open letter accusing TikTok of essentially sponsoring the replacement of human artists with AI. They've really taken this very intellectual uh, high ground around AI, but realistically this is a argument about money and tiktok is incredibly influential in driving sales and streams of of music so i eventually they'll get back to the table it's not really a great sign when these kind of things happen it feels very old school macho way of doing business in all honesty um and ultimately Universal Music Group, do they do enough for their artists? Are they the ultimate protector of human goodness versus TikTok's artificial intelligence focus? I think that's a really kind of simplistic um, argument. So ultimately, I think they will patch this up because they both need each other to some degree. And if I'm honest, I think it's bad for both of them. I think it's a really combative way of doing business. Mm, mm. Yeah, we'll have to have to watch if they come back together. Um, another news item, Barb released its Q4 UK streaming service subscriptions data, showing a decline in total VOD subscriptions of 1.9 percentage points. The report also shared for the first time its estimate of the number of UK users of Netflix's ad tier, which it says is 1.45 million. In total, Netflix reaches 16.3 million homes, the most of any streamer, followed by Amazon Prime Video at 12.4 million and Disney Plus at 7.3 million. Ella, you covered this report for us, as well as a similar report from Kantar looking at global subscription numbers. What's the difference between the UK market versus the global market? The, the global numbers are quite uh, positive, uh, in short, that, that on average, it's about a 1.8 percentage point increase across all markets that Kantar covered um, globally for streaming and VOD kind of uh, uh, subscriptions. Whereas, But they did call out in the UK, this was not the case, there was marginal quarter on quarter declines. Uh, the only service in the UK that kind of had a had a little bump from Q3 to Q4 2023 was Paramount Plus. Mm. Um, but a few reasons for this kind of, and it was declines across the board of like Netflix is obviously the biggest, but you have Amazon Prime Video, Disney Plus, Apple TV Plus, and now all had declines quarter on quarter. And one of the reasons that um, Doug Weltdale from Barb, uh, who's the head of Insight, kind of said was, well, maybe it's a festive period. The broadcasters will have had like a big offering over that period and you know mostly free as well so maybe that's why there's a drop in subscription um services that's one one uh, possible reason um it could be could it just be the prices went up could have been the price hikes and the kind of squeeze of the cost of living which is ongoing it's not that's not going anywhere um and then something else that they mentioned was uh that the kind of the the catalog library or like and com- combined with the new titles was a real re, uh, kind of factor behind the success of different subscription or the stickiness right. of different subscription services. Um, so I think, yeah, and while we were talking about how a lot of times when people go to sub streaming services, it's not always for the new shiny title. It's to rewatch like something that you've used to watch or it's a comfort watch. Mm. Um, you know, whether it's like, I don't know, the Simpsons on Disney plus or friends on Netflix or something, it's not like the new original stuff that is actually drawing people in. That, yeah, the new gets mm. the churn, mm. but if you will stick around, it's for, yeah, yeah. I think Omar and I, we, we're both watching Modern Family right now. Is it very modern anymore? For reasons I won't bore you with, I, I basically only watch half an hour of television 
normally per day and modern family on disney plus um is the thing that my wife and i are watching um it's very enjoyable and to yeah to ella's point when people are cutting back on streaming services as they appear to be doing generally what are you going to stick with you're going to stick with netflix because you know it's got this huge content archive and disney plus if you have kids in particular um or if you're into marvel and star trek um um, it's tough if you're a Paramount Plus or other streaming services where even though they've got really good content, they don't mm. have the same archive. Right. So you would subscribe for the month mm. to watch the show. And then, yeah. Paramount it. Plus do really well, though, is marketing. Oh, their yeah. marketing oh, yeah. is yeah. fabulous. Like their yeah. outdoor advertising in particular is is very, very, very effective. Yeah, they were really big on outdoor, especially over last quarter. And I wonder if that's maybe a factor to why they were the only one that had a slight increase yeah mm. or it could maybe not the only but like a it's worth a subscription alone just for yellowstone oh yeah <laughs> no, i have not seen that i know that's very like americana yeah uh, last question it's super bowl sunday this week i'm speaking with all british people so i will probably be the only one that stays up to watch unless i mean feel free we'll stay to stay up for the halftime show <laughs> uh, oh really uh, who's perform? isn't it usher you're staying up for oh. usher well i didn't know who was performing but now i know it's usher then okay. yeah no well Although I, apparently very good. I my my cousin saw him in Las Vegas and said it was a very good show. Well, yeah. the Super Bowl is in Las Vegas mm. as well this year. So mm. uh we'll, we'll probably see you know, Taylor some, Swift some will be there stuff. watching Travis. That's true. <laughs> huge it's actually been a huge media event, just the mm. fact that she's dating uh Travis Kelsey. Um but yeah, I was basically just gonna ask mm. Have you seen any ads that are coming out for the Super Bowl? Are you excited about anything? Do we care about the Super Bowl in this country at mm. all? Nikki, why don't you why don't you take that one? Can I be really honest? I usually am all over the Super Bowl ads, but I've been completely sidetracked by Taylor Swift. And I've just <laughs> gone down a huge rabbit hole into just how Taylor Swift has really, really reignited a whole audience of, mm. of fathers and daughters watching the Super Bowl together. So I'll, I will mostly be watching Taylor Swift and and just in awe of just what a economic and creative machine that woman is mm. i did see the victoria beckham spot vaguely you know a sort of taking on the the beckham documentary but i've missed the super bowl spots this year mm. if i'm honest i've kind of I, it's kind of passed me by i know we always say it's you know our christmas ads are the 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 equi- the uk's equivalent <laughs> of the of the super bowl but i i know there is there, there's obviously a lot of great advertising and i i will watch it this weekend but yeah, I've been too obsessed with Taylor Swift rabbit holes. Yeah, mm. like she's added about $335 million in uh, in kind of value to the Kansas City Chiefs just because she's dating <laughs> Travis. <Amazing>. Like <laughs> genuinely, <laughs> it brought she's brought so much money and attention. And so people are saying, oh, we want like a Taylor cam uh, on, on her the whole time watching the Super Bowl. Good Lord. And then, <laughs> then watching the rest of the match. It's a game. It's not a match. It's not a match. Just okay, want that we've had this. on the record. <laughs> Omar, have you looked at any of these ads? No, I haven't. It's it's, it's funny. Um, Nikki Nikki says about um, uh, kind of not seeing them. I, I felt that that was the case last year. Um, it's it, it it it's it's a funny thing. I mean, I think um, we're increasingly. Look, I think the the Christmas ads thing as a as a counterpoint, um, has gone down in terms of relevance as well. And I think it's just this thing about um, people watching less linear television and 
it feeling like less of a moment because let's be honest like a lot of the marketing for this stuff happens on youtube first anyway mm. and they put out like a big two minute three minute version and then you know the 30 second cut downs are nowhere near the creative power and it's the same thing for the super bowl where it's like it's like when you go to cinema and you see like these really long ads you're there to watch the ads because you're in the special environment you're geared up for it and these are special creative versions of the ads but it doesn't translate at all to your normal TV watching experience nowadays. It's like, and so it's like the more that the more special the Super Bowl is seen as, the less special the other normal humdrum TV advertising becomes. So I, I think it's an interesting thing. And I think the Super Bowl moment is here to stay, but I don't see it having this flywheel effect, if you like, where it's a celebration of creativity. I think it's almost, it's it's a form of nostalgia for what TV advertising maybe should be all the time, but definitely isn't. Mm. Yeah, I've just seen a lot of celebrity names kind of thrown around, so like Christopher Walker, Chris Pratt, like all of these people being kind of in those ads, but I haven't actually seen the ads themselves. Yeah, sometimes yeah. they tease them, but they obviously they'll be out on mm. the Super Bowl. Um, okay, last question, absolute last question. Uh, I wanted to ask people that have probably not followed the NFL, who's going to win the game? <laughs> Omar, you have San Francisco 49ers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Who is winning? Um, this is the this is a rematch, right? Of like five, four or five years ago, yeah. Yeah, so um, I, I really think that, um, the, that those 49ers did really well and are going to do even better than before. Okay, they lost last time. Yeah, so they're okay. going to so, so, the, so they're either going to lose less badly or win. Okay, better than last time. Ella. Um, uh, I think the Taylor effect will push the Kansas City Chiefs to victory. Yeah. Okay, Nikki, you're nodding as well. Yeah, I'm with Ella. Yeah, I'm team Taylor all the way. Okay. I I know that Kansas City is not in Kansas. You're right. Well, it's in Kansas and it's in Missouri, but yeah. the, I think the stadium is in Missouri. Yeah. But they're playing in Las Vegas anyway. (laughs) But thank you for the fun fact. Very true. All right. Thank you all so much for joining me. Um, If you do stay up to watch Super Bowl, uh, you can call me and we can chat about it because I'll be up as well. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Media Leader Podcast. If you like what you hear, guess what? You can read our stuff at our website, themedialeader.co.uk, where you can sign up to our daily newsletter in the UK of analysis, opinion, and commentary about what's going on in media and advertising. You can also find us on YouTube. We are posting video interviews and clips from our live events. And don't forget to check out our LinkedIn page, which is often a very interesting way to see what people in the industry are saying about our articles and the issues we write about. Anyway, get back to work. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.